I want to start today with a story about a teacher. Um, many of you know I recently started helping out at a school uh, called Cedar Ridge, which is a school for young men with, let's say, you know, behavioral issues. Uh, it, it can get a little rough sometimes. It can get, um, they're a blessing, but they're also trying sometimes. And the importance of making a good first impression is key. Making a good first impression and, and commanding respect is important especially with, with young men of that age. Um, so there's a story that goes around the school. I'm, I know it's not a true story. It's more of a, a story that's told as a joke and as a lesson, like, hey, here's what you got. You got to make a good first impression. Uh, a story's told of a teacher who on the first day of school knew that he was going to be assigned to a very difficult class. And what's more, uh, over the summer, he had injured his back. Uh, he'd injured it so badly that although he could stand and walk and teach, he could not run, and he could not engage in any sort of physical activity. Uh, he had a brace around his whole chest and back that went from his waist all the way up to under his arms. The only uh, saving grace in this was that it was, the brace was small and thin enough. It was very sturdy, but it could fit underneath his clothing. So the teacher, uh, he had an injured back, and he knew that... Um, you know, if, if they know that I can't engage in any physical activity, I'm going to have a hard time controlling the class. If they know that I just have to stand here and teach, I'm not going to be able to, to keep control of the classroom. So the first day, although it was not his usual custom, he put on a tie. And he tied it very loosely so that it had room to move around. And when he got to class, he opened a window by the front of the, front of the room. And as he began to teach the first class, uh, the window was open and he was standing there teaching and, and a breeze blew in and, and whipped his tie up around his neck. And he got frustrated and he straightened it out and he looked around and he picked up a stapler and whipped it out and stapled it to his chest. And he had no more problems for the rest of the year. I don't know exactly what we can learn from that story other than that first impressions are important and that we can always learn something from a teacher who has gone before. I want to introduce today uh, Peter, but not Peter the Apostle. Not, not Peter the follower of Jesus, with the one with always had something to say, the one who's never afraid to say it. I would like to introduce to you Simon, the fisherman, the man from Galilee, right? the, the ordinary blue-collar, get-the-work-done guy who has no idea who Jesus is. He meets Jesus. While he's out on his boats, he's fixing his nets, he's caring for his business, and he meets Jesus. And Jesus calls him from the boat and says, follow me. Now, here is a, a rabbi, a teacher, coming around choosing his students. Right? This was something that was sort of normal in the culture of the day, a, a, a well-educated, well-respected rabbi, someone who was uh, trained in the scriptures, someone who was trusted to teach them, would call followers, would call students. But Jesus is doing something very different. This rabbi is calling fishermen the uneducated, the ordinary. He's not calling the academics. He's not calling the intelligent. He's not calling the most spiritual. He's calling the nobodies. 
And Peter puts his net down and dedicates the next few years and, and ultimately the rest of his life to following Jesus. But for now, he doesn't know who this guy is. For now, all he knows is there's something about this rabbi that, that speaks to him that says, yeah, I'm going to follow him. He's going to gain a cause for his life. He's going to gain a purpose. But he does not yet know what that is. For now, he thinks he's just following a rabbi. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be today, and it starts with adult Jesus. It starts with the, it gets right to business. There's, Mark is the only gospel that ha, does not have anything to do with the Christmas story, which is pretty fitting because Christmas is over. And I love Christmas, but we've had a lot of it this year. Now, to be fair, John just has one verse about Christmas, and it's, it's more poetic. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That counts, though. But Mark has a few few verses in the beginning about John the Baptist, and then by the time you get to verse 9 of the first chapter, uh, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan, and he gets to work. And he goes about the business that he was sent here to do. Mark is a book that presents Jesus as someone who is about the business of serving people. Right? It shows him as a servant. So we have Jesus going through and, and calling his first disciples. The first disciples he calls are, are Peter and Andrew, two brothers who were fishermen, and James and John, two brothers who were fishermen. Got a sort of a pattern here going. But at this time, the story that we're going to look at today, he just has those four. It's, it's, still, it's still a small enterprise. He hasn't, he hasn't expanded yet, but he is making waves. Jesus is teaching in the synagogues, which is pretty much the same as what, the way we have church today. They would get together on the, their special day that they had set aside, and they would, they would all gather in one room, and they would praise and sing songs, and they would pray together, and then someone would get up and teach from the scriptures. It was all very familiar. Well, Jesus has been teaching in the synagogues, and he's been making an impression. In verse 29, they, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. Now, right off the bat, we, have, we show a very different culture here. Because we have, we have Simon and Andrew, it's their house together, so they, they still live in the same house. Uh, and, and it mentions Simon's mother-in-law, not his mother, but his mother-in-law, um, which is very strange to me because we don't see any, any mention of Simon's wife. We're kind of led to believe that she, has, that she has passed away. But at this point in the story, Simon can't be older than his mid-20s. It's just one of those oddities that we're not really, it's not really explained to us. So here we have Andrew and Simon and Simon's mother-in-law all living under one roof, probably a much larger family as well. And Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She's, she's got a fever so bad that she can't get out of bed. So they tell Jesus, and Jesus goes to her. He says he went to her, he took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her. And she began to wait on them. Right? As soon as she gets up, she's like, okay, we have guests now. Right? Classic, the way mothers do. What can I do to help? Can I cook something? Can I get something ready? And she starts to, starts to serve them. 
And this, I think, is Simon's first glimpse, his first inkling that maybe, maybe this guy isn't just a normal rabbi. Maybe, maybe this is special. Simon has seized this opportunity to follow a rabbi, but he doesn't realize that Jesus is so different. He brings him to his home, and all of a sudden, miracles start happening. Simon learns quickly, this is no ordinary rabbi. In fact, we're going to continue on with the introduction to Simon here. Um, that evening, after sunset, so same day, same day they've, they've, they've gone, he taught in the synagogue, then he went home, healed his mother-in-law, same evening. So this is all happening in one day. Uh, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Let me read that again. The whole town gathered at the door. Put yourself in this house. And everyone shows up to meet your guest. Right? To talk to you. Everyone is outside on your front lawn. And they all have something that they need. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now that... We're not going to have time to get into that. That comes into play much later. Um, but here, Simon begins to realize that this is going to be different than anything he had ever seen. And his life is never going to be the same. Watching this all in one night, he realizes this is going to change his life. Right? In the, on the notes page for the sermon today, there's a title right under the date. It says, Talk to Someone about someone. What we're going to do today is we're going to learn from the pattern that Jesus shows here and the, the pattern that Simon and the other disciples would follow and that is laid out for us. It's important to talk to people about spiritual things. It's one of the most important things we can learn to do as Christians. In fact, we're setting a goal this year. We're going to set a goal one of the goals that we would like to set for 2020 is we want to be able to track and count and measure the number of times that we as a church have spiritual conversations with our friends and our neighbors. How many times do we, throughout our week, throughout our month, how many times do we talk to people about God? Not just the, you know, sharing our faith and, and you know, giving them the gospel, although that counts. But how often do we have a conversation about spiritual matters with people who are not from our church? Um, over the next week, Mike and I and, and the elders, we're going to introduce some goals that we have for the church. And one of them is that today I'm going to talk about this idea that talking to people about God. But before we talk to people about God, we just have to start somewhere else. Before talking to people about God, we first talk to God about people. The, the example that Jesus shows us here and, and what's about to happen the next day and for the second half of this chapter one, Jesus is going to show us that it's, it's not just about going out and talking to people, but there are certain things that we can do first, certain things that we can uh, prepare. The first thing we've got to do is first blank in your notes is start with prayer. Start with prayer. Right? In this second half of the chapter, we're going to very quickly see that what Jesus does is show us how to talk to people and how to have conversations with friends and neighbors about God. And at the end, 
uh, after, I've, after I've showed you the second half of the chapter, uh, if you look at the bottom half of your notes, we're going to give you just a very, very quick sort of format for sharing the foundation of our faith in the story of God's love. So let's get into it. The story starts, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the story starts very early in the morning. Now, I mentioned when I was talking about the prayer breakfast, I don't like, I don't like to get up early in the morning. I like to be up early in the morning. It's very peaceful and calm, and it's energizing to feel, oh, I have so much of my day left. But the actual process of getting up in the morning, horrible. Hate it. Don't want to do it, especially if it's before the sun goes up, before it's light out. I would always complain to Mike about the prayer breakfast and, and the various things that we would do so early in the morning. So I'm not a morning person, Mike. Why do we have to be up this early? It, it's summertime, and the sun isn't even up. I, I said, this is, just, this is just ungodly. And I said to Mike, you show, me, you show me one time, and I was so confident that I was right in this. I said, you show me one time that Jesus ever did anything this early in the morning, and I'll never complain again. And he just looked at me, and he didn't even miss a beat. Right? The man knows his scripture. He said, Mark 135, go look it up. And here it is. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He prayed. He got up before it was light, before anyone else got up. The rest of them knew what they were doing. He got up way too early. But he, he went off and he prayed. He knew he was about to have a big day. I don't think anyone else knew this. But he prepared for this day. He prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone, everyone is looking for you. All right? This is going to be a very big day in Jesus' life. It's also going to be a very big day in Simon's life, and the first thing he does is pray. Whenever we set out to do anything worthwhile, we should start with prayer, right? because we're human. And when we set out to accomplish tasks, we often fail. We make goals and we miss them. Right? We make New Year's resolutions and we give up on them by January 5th. We have this idea of what we are capable of that is not always accurate. And the things that we set out to do, we may not be capable of or we might just fail. So when we set out to do things for God, we shouldn't start with what can I do? What am I going to do on God's behalf? But rather we ought to start with what can God do through me? What can God do with me? We start with prayer. Okay. Second thing. Jesus, he starts with a prayer. They said, you know, everyone's looking for you. This is, this is a big day. You, you did all these miracles yesterday. Everyone is ready to listen. All right. Be ready to share. All right. You've prayed. You've set out. Be ready. Have in your mind what it is you want to tell people. Right. Simon is just beginning to figure out this, this cause, this purpose of his life. Jesus had a cause. Right. We need a cause. 
I don't know what yours is. I, I know mine. And a part of my cause is helping you figure out what yours is. Jesus knew his purpose. Right? His purpose was to spread the news. The thing he would often say, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, he was here, he was here to save people. He was here to let them know who he was. Now, not many would believe him. Fewer would follow him, and even fewer would understand what he was talking about. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was not to make sure that everyone understood that he was going to die and, and rise again. His purpose was not to make sure that everyone understood how he was going to build the church. His purpose was to tell people who he was. The kingdom of God is at hand. He was there to speak. So now, Simon comes, and the other three, it just says Simon and his companions. I assume he means the other three, Andrew, James, John. And they come to him, they say, okay, everyone's looking for you. Let's go talk to them. And Jesus does something we would not expect. The book of Mark is often uh, laid out as a series of leadership decisions that Jesus makes that don't really match up with the sort of common business practices of the day. Right? Jesus does not go out and recruit a team of the best of the best. Uh, he, no, he goes and he gets fishermen. He doesn't capitalize on his momentum. He doesn't take his newfound fame and use it to spread his message. He doesn't focus the way we would. He wants to spread. Right? Simon says, let's go. Everyone's looking for you. Jesus replies, let's go somewhere else. Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. This is why I have come. He knows his purpose. He knows that he needs to tell everyone, not just this one group of people. He knows that there will be plenty of time. Let's go somewhere else. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So he goes and he, he preaches there. He, he gives them the message. But before he does, okay, it's a, it's a little, <coughs> excuse me, it's a little out of order, the narrative here, because it says how he prepared. Then it says what he, what he went to do. And then the next section is we're backtracking a little bit because before he went to preach, he encountered, he encountered a man. And the way he interacts with this man is very important for the way we are going to go out and talk to people about God. Because you've, you've probably heard it said, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. And nobody, nobody would have taken Jesus for anything more than just another teacher, just another rabbi except that he touched people's lives in a way that no one else ever had. Show that you care is the last one. Show that you care. Start with prayer. Be ready to share. Show that you care. Here's what it says. There was a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. This man had heard about this Jesus guy, the, the, the one who can heal diseases, and he thought, just maybe he can help me. This man has lived with a, a debilitating disease 
uh, on his skin. It's, it's literally falling off, right? And in those days, they don't, they don't have the medical knowledge to, to understand what's contagious and what's not. They have to assume everything's contagious, right? So you don't want to get any of that on you. So this man has not had contact with people the entire time he's had this disease. And everyone around him looked at him and saw a hopeless case. Now to put that in the context of talking to people about God, there are going to be people in your life, you look at them and think, I can't, I can't fix them. I can't save them. There's, I'm not capable. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not eloquent enough. There's nothing I can do. Because talking to people about God is scary. And it's intimidating. And we get intimidated and we think, I'm not going to be able to, to, I'm not going to be able to do this, to accomplish this. And so we don't even, we don't try. We don't do anything. Okay? I can't cure this man's disease, so I'm going to stay away, hands off. But what this man needed wasn't just a cure. What this man needed was an act of love. Jesus was indignant. He was angry. He felt this man's pain. Not just his physical pain, but his loneliness. He needed someone to show him love. So Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him. I am willing to be clean. And because it's Jesus, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. But the point here is not the healing. The point is that he touched him. He showed love. He showed acceptance. Too often we, we are so afraid of getting involved in other people's lives that we, we won't reach out and touch them. We won't try for fear of failure. Now, I, don't, I don't know about you, I think most people, when they are confronted with the prospect of sharing about their faith, talking to people about God, when they, when they imagine that, they get this anxiety, right? That uh, it, words do not come easily, and I'm afraid, and I'm not good at it. And you're in good company if that's you. Okay? Certainly, we all probably know one or two people for whom... Uh, the gift of evangelism, right? Being able to to speak about faith and spread that good news just comes naturally. And we compare ourselves to those people that we that we know, that we see and we hear. And we think, I could never do that. And I want to I want to give you that, you know, release you from that guilt today because we aren't all gonna be able to do that. Right? Evangelism is a gift. The same way there are, there are many gifts that are listed in the New Testament that each person who follows God is, is, is given some skill, given some ability, a gift, so that when we all come together, we can all use those gifts to further the cause of Christ together. We don't all get evangelism, but we can all share. We can all of us reach one. Right? Somebody, somebody reached you. Somebody introduced you to Jesus at some point in your life. So we can, all of us, we, we can pay that debt to maintain. 
Yes, there are going to be some people in this world who have that gift who can just naturally go and, and talk to people and reach people and win people over. But that's not everybody's gift, and, and it doesn't have to be. And I don't want you to feel guilty if you don't feel like that comes naturally. That doesn't mean that you're not a good Christian. It doesn't mean that you don't follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough. It's going to be tough, and it's going to be scary. But it starts by showing that you care. By showing that you care, people will listen to what you have to say. So when it comes time to say it, how do we say it? That's one of the most intimidating things. If you're like me, you could probably think back of a time in your life when you committed and you said, I am going to, I am going to share my faith with someone. And the opportunity arose, and you began to talk with this person, and you stumbled all over your words, and you ran on for 10 or 15 minutes, and they were confused, and you were confused, and at the end, you don't feel like you got anything done, and they smiled politely and said thank you, and that was it. Then you wanted to just go bury yourself in a hole, and that was it. And then you felt like giving up. I've heard it said that if you can't explain something in three minutes, people think that you don't understand it. Which is weird, because I'm usually up here for 30. Um, but that, that, that's neither here nor there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you something that I picked up. I did not write this. Uh, this is not me. This, is, this comes from a conference that we went to with the teens a couple of years ago uh, from a group of people called Dare to Share, which uh, is more of a, an evangelistic. They train young people on how to talk to people about God. This is, their, this is their way of remembering the entire story, the whole gospel. If you look in the notes, it actually makes an acronym, which is one of my uh, favorite ways to remember things. Because if I can get that first letter of a sentence, I can usually remember it. And I'm not going to put anyone on the spot, but there are some people here today who were at that conference who learned this and might still have it committed to memory. I would encourage you that if, if you take this with you, uh, it's easily memorable. Okay? And it starts at the beginning of the Bible, and it goes the whole way. It's the story of God's love for his people. It's simple, it's quick, and it covers the entire Bible. Number one, G. God created us to be with him. God created us to be with him. That's that first couple of chapters of Genesis. You can see we're front-loading a lot of this, like the first three go only just a couple chapters each, and then it picks up pretty quickly. But the first part of the story is that God created a world, and he made it to be this perfect place for people to live, and he created people to go and live in it, and he wanted to be their God and for them to be his people. That's the first part of the story. God created us to be with him. Second, our sin separates us from God. See, God wanted to be our God and, and wanted us to be his people. And We, humanity, we chose differently. We chose to be our own God. We chose to be our own people without him. Our sin separates. It builds a wall between us and God. The really bad news is, if you die with that wall in place, it's there forever. 
and it separates us from God. So there's a problem. Problem gets worse. There's nothing you can do about it. The third one, S, sin cannot be removed by good deeds. There are entire religions in this world that will teach you that there is a balanced scale between the good and the bad things that you do in your life and that the purpose of life is to do more good to outweigh the bad. And if you do more good than bad, you will, you will earn God's favor and God will welcome you into heaven. And that's a trap. One, because it's not humanly possible. We can't do enough good to outweigh the bad. But two, because that's not how sin works. You can't erase bad just by doing good. That sentence pretty much sums up most of the Old Testament. The desire and the, the fight of people to pay for their own sin, to remove it by following rules, by doing religious things. But it wasn't enough. Number four, letter P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. That's the whole thing in one sentence. You don't have to be able to explain how that works. You don't have to understand the big words like propitiation. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. That's it. That's simple. It's fact and it's easy. Next one, E. Everyone who trusts in Christ alone has eternal life. Again, it gets more complicated than this. Right? There, are, there are steps we talk about, you know, accept, believe, confess, be baptized. That's all well and good, but that's not something that is for the first three minutes. Right? This is the first three minutes of your conversation. The rest of it can happen later. But for the, fir the first thing that people need to know is everyone who trusts in Christ alone has eternal life. And finally, letter L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. This is a big one because we often, as a church, we get a reputation for sort of always sitting around waiting and hoping for that, oh, that one day in the future, you know, I, I'm here on my life. Life, in, life in, on this earth is just a test. And if I pass the test, then one day uh, I will live forever in heaven. And that'll, it'll be great then, even though it's terrible now. But that's not true. And that's not what God created this world for us in the first place. This world was supposed to be a place where we could live life and a life of freedom, a life of joy, a life abundant. And that life starts now. Right? That life uh, without the, the guilt and the burden of our past, that new life in Christ, that starts, starts now. And yes, it lasts forever. So it's double good news. So with those three or, I'm sorry, those six, you should be able to, in three minutes, give somebody the message. Now, again, it's, there's more to it than that. There's thousands of pages of it. But if you really want somewhere to start, this is somewhere to start. God created us to be with him. Our sin separates us from God. Sin cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who believes in Christ alone has eternal life, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. It's quick. 
It's simple. It's memorable. And you can use it. Anyone can use it. And that's why I love it so much. So how do we get started? How do we have that conversation? I'll give you just a couple of minutes here. I want to show you how to do this. Okay? Because people don't want to just hear an acronym. People don't want to just hear a bunch of religious stuff. They want to hear your story. They want to hear about you. Why should I care? How did it affect you? If this God is so powerful, if this God can change people's lives, how did it change your life? So three things. Before, during, and after. Before I met Jesus. Some of you are going to have to think way back to that. Some of you not so much. What were you like before you knew about Jesus? What were you like before you made it personal and decided to follow him? What was your life like? And, and then when you, when you met Jesus, when someone, someone explained it to you in a way that made you understand, this was probably a multi-step, probably didn't all happen at once, but when was that moment that the light switch flipped? You understood and it was personal. Tell them that story. Finally, tell them how you were different after. I'm different. I'm changed because of God. God changed in my life. I used to be selfish and angry. I used to be uh, impatient. And then without anything to do with any of that, I met Jesus. And I didn't think that my following Jesus had anything to do with my impatience, with my selfishness, with my anger. But after I started following Jesus, it seemed like he started to change me into a different version of myself. God has a perfect vision of a perfect version of you. And he will work to turn you into that. Tell him how you're different. I put a couple of quotes at the bottom of the note page, something you can use. You know, hey, I've been meaning to tell you something. Can I talk to you for a bit? Hey, I was praying and I thought of you. Can I pray for you for something? Can I help? How can I help? How can I help is a very powerful phrase. How have you been? What can I do? These are all things that you can do to show that you care and have an opportunity to share and talk to people about God. I'm going to close today um, with the song. How great is our God. And when we, when we sing this song, the reason I chose this as the ending song for this morning is that it's a reminder that we are not there to do it alone. Uh, this, in the first service, when we do all the hymns, we chose great is thy faithfulness. God doesn't just send you out alone to do the work. He doesn't, he doesn't just shove you out the door and say, get it done goes with you. He goes with you and stays with you every step of the way so that we don't have to be terrified of the prospect of talking to people. We don't have to be anxious or, or intimidated. Just talk to God about people and then talk to people about God. Let me pray for you before we go. Father, thank you for the example. Thank you for the people in our lives who can come up with this stuff that, to help us to not be intimidated by the idea of having a spiritual conversation. We know that you can do great things in this world through us. 
Do we ask for the, the courage, the, the opportunities to share, the opportunities to talk to people, but not because not, the opportunities, we, we let them pass us by. In the moment, would you remind us of those opportunities? Prompt us when we could be having a conversation with someone. Put it on our hearts. Don't let us shut it down or pass it by. Even knowing that it'll be awkward and even knowing it'll be uncomfortable, we do it because we love people. We want them to have the life that we have. Thank you for that life. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.